everyone, welcome to the Let's Take This Online podcast with me, Digital Hoos. I just want to take the time and say thank you for listening. And if this is your first time here, please take a second and subscribe to the channel. This podcast and everything I am working on is all about growth and value, so your feedback is very, very important to me. You can also find the video version of this podcast on YouTube. Just search Digital Hoos so you can find all the clips and the videos from the podcast itself. For me, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, basically everywhere by just searching Digital Hoos. Now, onwards to the podcast episode. Yeah, I go home for the and fun podcast guest we have today, we have Kiyoji from the Dreamer Collective. Hi. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Um, before I want to get, actually, let's get into what is, what is the Dreamer Collective? Mm, good question. I love that question. <laughs> what is it not? Because um, <laughs> you have you doing a bunch of things, right? You know, yeah. You know, the Dreamer Collective. productive people that I was Exactly. Like <laughs> Look, it started from an idea of really just wanting to help people become authors. And that's awesome. Yeah, that was where it all began. Um, But, you know, almost three years later, we're now, you know, doing digital content and then also online education. Um, We're about to launch a coaching platform as well, where people can learn and be mentored by our authors. So really, the idea with the DreamWork Collective is just creating a a hub, a collective, a space where people can come and fulfill their dreams, whatever that is. Um, but primarily, we work in the space of publishing, so right, online and, and print publishing. All right, there you go. Uh, before I kind of want to dive more into that, I kind of like to take a step back and understand the guest's journey to how they got to today. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like to go and start around the education time. What do you study? University. Uh, psychology. Psychology. Really <laughs> where, where was this? Sorry. Which university? Uh, university of Tasmania. So, All right, cool. yeah. Yeah, yeah. My wife's, uh, my wife's from Sydney. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I think I've been telling her for a while I want to do a Tasmania trip because it looks mm. absolutely beautiful. It's amazing. It's yeah. such a great place to have grown so up. So I'm hoping next year. Okay, right. I'll be there for, I'm hoping maybe Christmas time next year because mm-hmm. I think the weather's really nice It'll down there. It'll be nice. So I'm thinking about, I haven't seen New Zealand. I haven't seen, I want to go Melbourne as well mm-hmm. and I want to do Tasmania. So I think we'll do like three or four weeks and I'm going to definitely do Tasmania. Yeah, you're going to love it. Yeah, <laughs> the pictures look insane. Yeah, it's she, She's not even done it either. She hasn't really? done it. Yeah, she, but that's always the way. Right? When you live near to it, something, it, you don't go. So <laughs> but yeah, so I'm really excited about it. So beautiful country. And how long have uh, you been in Dubai for? I have been here seven years now. Okay. And mm. did you come straight from Tasmania to here? No. So oh. I was living in Perth, um, working as a yoga teacher at the okay, time. Okay, interesting. And uh, at that time, I sold everything that I owned and decided to do a year of travel where I would just travel the world teaching yoga and, and see where things mm. led me. And they led me to Dubai. I came out here to teach yoga for what was supposed to be three months. Yeah. Um, but two weeks into that stay, I met who's my now husband. Awesome. So I met him. And stayed, and so <laughs> that's how I ended up. Dubai's here. an interesting place. I met my wife here as well. So right, it's just, it's just one of those places because I think it brings people from all around the world. Exactly, it's one of those melting pot kind of thing, like New York and London and stuff. Right. So, did you ever like uh, work in the psychology field itself? Yes. So I worked okay. as a therapist in Tasmania. Uh, yeah, in okay. Tasmania for children with autism. So I worked oh, as a child okay. and family therapist for quite a few years, uh, and then once I left that work, at the time I was young, I was straight out of school, and it was quite heavy work if I'm honest and I didn't have the life experience to really know how to manage Mm. myself within you know dealing with with those kind of cases so I left that work and that's when I moved more towards yoga and meditation. you still do any work with uh, autistic children here? I don't I don't but it's something I'm still really really passionate about I think one of the things that I learned and this was a huge lesson is that just because you are good at something or passionate about 
something doesn't mean it's necessarily the right thing for you to do. That's true. So I don't know if I'm the right person to do that kind of work. Fair uh, I find it very difficult and I'm very emotional easy. around that. It's not yeah, but I'm still very p- passionate yeah. about it. I've been wanting to, so I've always had a special place for, for children with autism and, and, and learning this, and disabilities of sorts. So I've done some charity work in Lebanon. I've, right. I've reached out to, I don't know, the Dubai Autism Center mm-hmm. here. I've reached out to them and I've been asking them to volunteer. It's just, I'm just trying to fit into my schedule because they ask for a specific minimum number of days in the week. Right. And I can't dedicate that many number of days. And I really want to, so I'm trying to, I mean, I'm asking if they could, if we could maybe could do like half the number because mm-hmm. they want like maybe four days right. a week or something like that with like each hour, a couple hours and mm-hmm. that's hard for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do want to dedicate, I'll, I'll hopefully I'll, I'll be able to get a solution with them because I really want to. I have, a, I have a special place for cases, yeah. autism, you know, but it's not easy. Uh, working with children with disabilities is, is a difficult one. Yeah, I think for me, just having come straight out of school and working not only with them, but their families as mm. well, having not had children myself and, you know, really just, just coming straight into the workforce, I think uh, I felt at that time that uh, there was just a bit of a gap between yeah. where I was in my life and what my clients were experiencing and maybe it wasn't the right time for me yeah, to do that Yeah, you felt you maybe work. weren't able to give them the maximum amount of value you wanted exactly. to. Exactly, and mm. you know, no matter how much compassion you have, it's not the same as empathy where you can really understand what the person's going through. And so mm. as a young person, you know, early 20s, mm. it's very hard for me to understand, you know, a mom in their 40s with a child with autism, what she's going through. For sure. And I can show up and I, you know, I had all my techniques and tools and everything that I'd studied and learned but there was something in me that just said I'm not ready for this or I'm not right for this right now Fair enough. and so I left uh, that word just a random question are you a naturally empathetic person yes that's really interesting <laughs> I've had a few guests who are like that I am not naturally empathetic right. but I've been aware about that for the last few years so I've been purposely like working really hard at it mm-hmm. it's not easy mm-hmm. for a person who doesn't naturally have it it's a bit of a it takes time and it's been an effort, but I try every day. Right. And it's not because it it's hard for me always to imagine. I, I, my, my natural instinct is to get angry. Okay. But I stop. I, I mean, lately, mm-hmm. I, I've been really good at it for the last few years where I go, okay, relax. Mm-hmm. Try to think from their point of view. And it, it's been working, but it's like a natural. And I think most people I speak to are not naturally empathetic. I think it's hard. It's only been a select few are. Mm-hmm. And I'm very envious of those select few. Now, my wife is naturally empathetic. Right. So it really helps me. But I think I've improved significantly, but it's just, it's always interesting to see someone else's. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Mm. All right, cool. So um, in Dubai, when did you kind of go into that publishing world? How do you fall into that space? It's really interesting. So when I came out here, I was just teaching yoga um, at the time. But then once I realized I'm going to be based here because I had met, you know, my husband and fallen in love. um, So I then started working as a life coach. So Mm -hmm. I um, did my qualifications in that and I found it a really nice bridge between my work as a therapist mm. and then also the yoga and meditation work that I was doing. So what kind of qualifications do you take to become a life coach? So <clears> I <throat> did a one-year life coaching certification course through mm-hmm. um, a company that was based here. Actually, it's called Coactive Coaching, okay. um, CTI, the Coaches Training Institute. So there's a lot of different institutes out there, um, but this is one of the best and, and a really well-known one. So I did that um, and then from there started to develop um, my own way of really supporting people based on everything that I'd kind of gathered from working in so many different fields of creating health and healing in people. Okay. Uh, And then at that point, uh, knowing that I was going to be based here, I wanted to find a way that I could communicate the kind of work that I do with people in a much bigger way Mm -hmm. Um, as a person, a single person, I can't be (laughs) everywhere all the time and help everyone. So one way that I knew I could leverage what I know and help people was to write a book. So I um, 
had this idea that I wanted to write a book and I was in touch with a friend of mine, uh, a childhood friend from Tasmania, and uh, we were talking about it because and in our childhood, she was always such a gifted writer. Mm. And I always loved writing and loved reading, but I was a terrible writer. <laughs> and, and it wasn't that I... Uh, I couldn't do it. It was, as you probably noticed, I love to talk and I talk yeah. really fast. So I always felt with writing, I couldn't quite get all the words out on the page. Mm. And I failed so many writing classes and I didn't get my pen license at school because my handwriting was too messy. And so I had a lot of ideas around, well, I'm, writing's not for me. I'm much more of a speaker than mm. a writer, even though I loved to write. And I've always kept a journal from, gosh, the age of six, seven, I've been journaling. I have stacks and stacks of journals under my parents' house and also in my own <laughs> home here. Uh, but what happened is my friend was suffering um, from diabetes and oh, okay. she sadly had complications related to that and passed away. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. But um, the last message she had sent me before she did pass away was how uh, she felt like success was just around the corner for me and that she had regretted that she hadn't pursued her own dreams before yeah. getting ill well, that's and, a nice message to hear yeah and so one of the things you know that was special about her is how gifted she was at writing but she had never pursued her own ambition she was working as a copywriter for other people mm. great companies like apple and things like that so on paper it looked like she had success but she hadn't actually done what was in her her heart mm. and so when she passed away you know everything that she'd ever written all these unpublished blog posts and ideas for novels and books and stuff just went with her oh, and so that really lit a fire in me where i was like i'm just gonna do it yeah. <laughs> i don't care if people judge me if they think not? that i can't write if it's not good and if only one person reads it it's enough for me oh, and so i you know wrote this this small book kind of sharing the main tools that I used with my clients um, to help them create a sense of peace and ease in their life. And I self-published it. And it was through that process that I realized how hard <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is hard to self-publish, isn't it's it? It's very hard. Uh, like how, what, what did you actually have to get done? Like, How did you get go about it? Well, one, it's not as simple as just writing whatever you think. Mm. It makes sense to you. Um, the editorial process was huge. Um, at first, I tried editing myself, and then I realized that is just ridiculous because it's so hard to edit your own work. Uh, not only does it just block you creatively, but you you're bound to miss stuff. So you know, the process was then hiring an editor and then hiring um, an illustrator and designer and. That was amazing and it came together and at this point I still thought I was just going to publish it as an ebook and kind of mm. give it away to people because for me it was more about that process of getting over my fear and putting my work out there and just doing it now, not waiting on it. Uh, but as I went through the process and realized how much time and energy and money I was investing into this project, I realized I had to go all the way. And what that meant for me at the time was then, you know, wanting to create a print version of the book and uh, that meant that I also had to get through the regulations here in Dubai yeah. everything needs to be approved by the National Media Council uh, and so that was a part of the process as well for me and then you know at that time uh, I had done all of this in a matter of like six months I was just working on it day and night not sleeping just fueled by I guess grief in many ways but also this newfound passion and, and wisdom I guess that I had that 
it has to be now. You can't wait on stuff yeah. like this. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. And so I did. And I had a beautiful launch here. And it was after I launched my book that I had everybody asking me, how did you do it? How did sure you do it? I'm sure people struggle with it. So many people do. And you're talking about, you know, six years ago where um, self-publishing was not as accessible in this part of the world as it is today. And so, you know, I only had heard of one or two other people who had self-published here. So it wasn't really something that was Mm. available to people. And not a lot of people knew that that was even possible for them. So I was getting asked that a lot. And it was through that process. Um. I started to realize maybe I can help people. And uh, I started running workshops in my living room uh, called Share Your Wisdom, which was just about helping people who felt like they had an idea or a story and talking to them. Okay, these are the ways that you could share it. Like you can do eBooks, you can self-publish, you can submit it to publishers, try to get it published traditionally um, and started just educating people on what their options were. Interesting. Uh, well, lots unpackaged there. Um, <laughs> do you know there's this one writer? You know Jocko Willink? He's he's awesome. He's like a ex Navy SEAL. Writes a lot of books about leadership. He he basically got so tired of dealing with like the process of also. I think in the states maybe it's different. Publishing house. He had such a he had such a bad time with editors. He's like he's like screw it, and then he opened up his own own publishing right. house. So he opened his own one. Um, one there's a few things there. It seems honestly. One thing that that's really interesting. Sadly, your your friend passed away um, mm. without fulfilling like her her uh, her dreams. And don't, isn't that isn't that said that there's just so many people who just out of fear or pressure from others don't don't like go after those dreams. Mm-hmm. It, it it really it really makes me sad to think about so many like untapped potential of, of all, people all around the world. Right. Exactly. Of, it drives uh, me crazy to think of how much potential is out there right? that's just not being fulfilled. And, and, and even, for example, you look at the Arab culture where you're always pushed to follow a specific profession or something. Mm-hmm. And I was talking, I forgot who had the podcast, I think it was with Lucas Scrobot, who was also another podcaster. And um, we were talking about like how many engineers would have been made better writers or how many mm. how many architects would have made better <laughs> philosophers. And it's, it's sad that people don't go that, but I think probably the, your friend left you with such a great lesson, I think. Absolutely, and it's a so lesson. I think she left you a lot lasting gift. So exactly, that's a nice way to look at it. Exactly. That's, yeah, it's really, and it's good that you took advantage. You learned and you took advantage of that. And yeah, and a part of what I do every day when I wake up, it's you know, it's part of her legacy as much mm. as it is mine now. Um, and her legacy may not have been a, a book at that time, but there's now been so many books published, kind of not under her name, but because of her, mm. uh, that it. That that legacy still exists in some way. That's really nice. What was the name of the book you published? Soul in the City. And what's it about? So it's really about, uh, it tells a little bit about my journey. Mm-hmm. So how I did, you know, sell everything that I owned and travel the world and landed up here. Um, and the tools that I used to be able to do that, really to have the the faith to be able to let go of the security blanket mm. and take a risk and allow myself to be guided rather than me deciding where, what my future yeah. holds. Um, allow myself to be guided by chance and and synchronicity and and meetings and things like that that just happened and following i guess more of my internal guidance and that's definitely what the book was about how hard was it uh take a little bit back is is, how hard was it just to leave everything in in perth and sell everything and just travel the world where where people were like Mm. you you have a lot of doubters like what are you doing of course (laughs) of course but i think uh i've always been that way i think when if i think about my 
poor parents who've had a really hard time with me, it often looks like I haven't thought things through, mm. but I have. But I, I think things through internally and then I take action, mm. which looks like it came out of nowhere, but it never has. But it, once I do take action, it comes from a very confident, uh, reassured place within me that like there's nothing that will change my mind or stop mm. me. I'm I'm on on it yeah. <laughs> that's my path what was one of the like what was the most interesting place you visited during your one-year travels or like a really like i would say resonate with you? um mexico was really amazing. Okay, never been. i really loved mexico i loved the people and the food uh and i had come out of um an intense time in la where i was teaching a lot and running teacher trainings and i uh went to mexico and to a more rural kind of place and just hung out there and did my own thing that's awesome. taught a bit of yoga it was beautiful i heard, I heard uh <laughs> Heard the food. I, I, I have two friends that went, and they said the food there is insane. It's amazing. It's nothing what we think. It is. It's not, not what we're eating <laughs> and the burritos and talking. No. It's nothing to do with that. It's really fresh and very very healthy. Yeah. And lots of flavors. Yeah. It's beautiful. I've been wanting to go. <laughs> uh, where in Mexico were you? What was the name of the area? Uh, Pueblo. Okay, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, is that the south north? Where is it? Oh, good question. I think it's it's to the north. Okay, never yeah. been. Is it close to the American border then? I really, I wouldn't know. Okay. I, I, I really can't remember exactly where it is, but it's, um, I would say it's more rural. There's lots of hills and uh, a lot of greenery and it's definitely out of the, yeah, the hustle to, and bustle. I wanted to do a, a trip there. I don't think I've explored enough. How important was just traveling the world was to you? Like to it was growth. very important. Yeah. It was very important. I think coming from Tasmania, for those who don't know much about Tasmania, it's also a very rural place and it's really quite literally the end of the earth down there <laughs> so you're so far away from everything even different cultures and new experiences so it is quite a leap to go from you know growing up in that kind of place to then uh you know spreading your wings and traveling the world and engaging with so many different people and cultures and atmospheres but uh it was something i was always driven to do i think you mm. know even my degree in psychology um i have a very strong desire to to understand humanity and human potential mm. and you can only do that when you're meeting as many people For as sure. possible i feel like in our hometowns and stuff it comes like a bubble like you don't really know what else is out there like for example like i don't lebanon lebanon even though we're in the middle east and everything but like it's like a bubble there. Mm. So when you leave, your eyes open. You're like, wow, there's there's a whole other world out here that's so different. It's so different. And it's not say you know it's not not and there's no safety net. You it's on, you're on your own. And I think it's very important for people. I always tell people that traveling is very important. And I want to mm. do more traveling. I think I've I still have to do a lot a lot. But getting there every year. Yes. Even though I've tried to go every year somewhere new. Nice. I think that's that's the best I could, we can do. I that's think. such a good way. I did to Turkey do it. for the first time this year. Beautiful. I loved it. I fell in love with. Oh. I fell in love with it. Uh, last year went to Azerbaijan. Right. So yeah, we're traveling a little bit. Every and so, now what's and been the most meaningful place for you? You know what was really interesting? Probably the most meet. Two places, I think. One when I went to Australia for the first time, mm -hmm. I loved Sydney. I fell in love with it, mm -hmm. and also because I had an aunt there that I never met ever in my life. She left left Lebanon in the seventies. So actually meeting her and then her grandkids and great grandkids. Wow. Was was very meaningful to me. And then also funny enough is when I visit Lebanon now with my wife, I'm visiting from the eyes of a tourist. Okay. And I'm in I'm in, I'm enjoying the country that I used to live in. Like when I when you live in Lebanon, it's like tough. Mm. Electricity cuts, water's a problem, traffic. Right. You're not enjoying it. But then when I visit as a tourist and when I start exploring the country, I'm really enjoying it. Nice. Which has actually been really nice. I don't think I've ever enjoyed Lebanon as much. So mm. those were two really, really interesting. 
Um, I don't know. I need to do. I need to do more meaningful trips. I think more like not, you know a lot of people travel for like fun and partying. I want to do more like profound trips. I don't know if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, that's what I think I need to do. But right. I haven't decided where that would be. Okay. Because it's different for every person. It is different, yeah. and it's different for every time of your life. You know, 100%. like different places. 100%. Are meaningful yeah. at different times. I did Barcelona. For me, that was very because I love mm. I love architecture and I love Gaudi. So uh, I went to when I went to Barcelona. That Amazing. was really nice. I yeah. went to the, the, the Mount Tipidabo. That was that was that was great. Right. That was a great experience. Overall, not bad. I did not like France. The tried no. France. I, did, I, still, I don't know if you've been. <laughs> I, I, didn't, have. I Maybe not France. Sorry, not all France. Sorry, French people. I didn't like Paris. <laughs> okay. Paris. I, I heard Paris is very different. Than the rest I've of the heard France. that also. Because <laughs> I, 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 for some reason, because I have an American accent a bit, and then when you go, Persians don't like Americans. Right. Right. I think the specific American accent they don't like, so they were really mean to me. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, they don't like it. So okay. Uh, let's fast forward to today. What? Well, because after the book you published, what was the first book you published after that? Uh, press play. Press play. I heard about that book. Did you? Yeah. yeah. yeah so by Linda Bonner. So Linda, uh, oh gosh, she's incredible. She attended a workshop in my living room, and uh, she. How was many people were attending at that time? Like ten to fifteen people. That's awesome. It was yeah. all word of mouth. <laughs> yes, all word of mouth. That's, that's super cool. Like I would post it on my social media, but that's yeah, yeah. that's how it all happened. And uh, from there, she. She just got it. She was ready. Um, she had this idea. She'd been working as a, a school teacher for 13 years and had, you know, become a life coach over the last five years. And she wanted to somehow merge the two. Mm. And she was seeing a lot of teenagers really struggling and not seeing any kind of resources for them. There were a lot of resources mm. for parents to help parents with their children, but not anything that really spoke specifically to the teens. So uh, she wrote Press Play and you know, she took a, a huge chance on us. I have no background in, in publishing, as, as you can tell from the, what, I, what I'm saying. Um, I just have a lot of passion and, and a willingness to, to do whatever it takes to help people get their yeah. book out there. Um, so she took that, that leap of faith on us. And, um, you know, we've been partners ever since, working on many different things and recently launched the second edition of her book. Yeah, actually, I connected with Linda on LinkedIn. I've been wanting to reach out to her for that book specifically. Right. Yeah. I've, had, I've been having some authors on and I've been, it's been really nice to mm. sit there and talk with authors and listen to their journeys and mm. stuff. It's, it's really interesting for me. I'd love to write a book one day. I just don't know what's about. So once I <laughs> once I figure out, I'll definitely let you know. But I I think I'd I'd like to do do that. Um, but yeah, it's it's, it's, it's very. It's, that's why I reached out to you in the first place. For me, the whole the whole realm mm. is really interesting. Mm. Someone else I wanted to. I I saw their book. I read the synopsis. Was tackled. Tackled, yes. That story seems so interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. So Yoss, she's worked in that space for a really long time. She's uh, created an NGO in South Africa. She was helping girls um, and uh, delivering education, really important education to them through sports. And uh, through that work, she realized that there's also a need for Mm. young boys and men um, to have that same sort of emotional educational support as well. And Takud was really born out of her research in that um, they had interviewed over 800 uh, young boys and men from South Africa. And um, it's really, really interesting book. And the good thing that I about that book as well is that it's not just a, a, a bunch of facts and and information they actually share stories from the boys and young men as well and then it also offers practical workshops in the back of the book to help educators or community organizers Mm. or sports coaches 
facilitate the same kind of work that Yoss was doing. Super cool. So when did when did like the DreamWorks Club come become like an official thing? It's interesting you say that because I was working as a coach, as I mentioned, yeah. and I had this idea, this name came to me, the DreamWorks Collective. And at that time, I thought it was maybe like a coaching workshop or something like that. So I just sat on the name for two years, <laughs> not knowing what was that name for? Where, where did, but it's a good name. I like the name. And uh, when it all kind of came together, I had somebody come to me and ask me how I did it. And at that time, I just said, you know what, I, I can help you do it. And it was at that moment I realized, oh, the DreamWorks Collective, that's what this is about. Mm. It's about, you know, bringing people together to fulfill their dreams. Um, but it was in uh, 2016 that I started working with Linda and published mm. the first book. And that's where the DreamWorks Collective as a publishing house really came to life. And you got like the whole trade license. Got the exactly. exactly. So how, how's it all work? Let's say I come with you. I tell you, mm -hmm. I have to come with a ready book, right? Almost or kind of? Yes. How does it kind of work? Okay. Yes. Oh my goodness. This is, so my, <laughs> the director of publishing, Talia, okay. she's uh, an incredible editor and she's worked for some amazing publishing houses in the UK. Um, and her and I are a little different where I'm definitely more, if you come to me with an idea and a dream, I want to help you fulfill that she wants <laughs> and a ready she's book. like she just wants the ready book of course because that, that's that's for her <laughs> so job we really begin, balance right? it out so i have to be careful what i say for her sake so okay, sorry, yes <laughs> yes we do want a ready book but if you have a lot of potential um you at least need to have like some kind of like an outline at least we something, definitely right? want to see an idea we okay. want you to have a clear idea on who your your market is who's your target mm. audience like who are you speaking to um we would want to know a little bit of information about you know what kind of social media presence you already have and what ideas you have around um promoting or the book and then um we would want to see a sample of your writing. So okay, even right. if it's, you know, three, four chapters and that's what you have. But for me, the most important thing is that no one feels like they have to, that they can't do it, you know, mm. that there's no way. So we also offer coaching, like actual writing coaching, but then also just coaching around ideas and messaging and stuff okay. like that. So if they're not quite ready at this time, we can take them through that process and okay, help them cool. get the tools that they need to be right, cool. ready. So look, let's imagine I come to you with a, with a ready book. Mm -hmm. So I'll give to you guys, you guys will go through the whole editing process, right? You'll, you'll read it all out. You'll, you'll, you'll yeah. yeah. So first we would, it would go to Talia and okay. Talia determines um, whether it's a good fit for us or not. Uh, and then we would have a conversation with you about, well, what, what are your goals for the book? Um, and we, we do that because, you know, we get a lot of people coming to us who want to be a New York Times bestselling author overnight. And everyone wants to do yeah, that. Everybody wants to. And as much as I would love to make that dream come true for everybody, it's not possible. Uh, there's, there's a realistic we have to live in the exactly, real world right exactly and then sometimes you know their reason for doing it can be completely different it can be you know just something that they feel like they need to do for themselves it could be um to leverage their career in some way it could be that they do want to turn into a professional writer and an author and start shifting their career in that direction so we actually have that conversation first because okay. we're not just about getting a book out onto a shelf we're about helping you want people quality. you don't want to get yeah. any book out and we want to make sure that we're actually giving 
the authors what they really want mm. um, and helping them understand that process. So there's a big kind of um, submission process that happens where we check their work, obviously, and then also have those kind of conversations. And okay. then if we feel like, yeah, this is a good fit, um, then we would sign sign on the offer. Do you work with like a printing house? Here? Like you have a, like a partner? Yeah, we do. Okay. So we work with a local printing house. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of people have questioned us on that because most publishing houses uh, print their books in either India or China. These are it's a just well-known cheaper labor. Is, that, is this pure finance? It's usually cheaper, um, but our um, printing printing costs are really good here, actually. Um, and it means that we can have a level of control over the final For production. Sure. You want to physically be next, you know, when, when it's exactly. in a different country and then there's a I problem know. and it's, a, it's a communication. And exactly. And I think in this moment of time where, you know, as a print publisher, you're also competing with digital publishing and audiobooks and stuff like that. I mean, unless your print book is beautiful, why is anyone going to buy it over something else, you know? No, so for us, it's really important that we create visually and physically beautiful books. Mm. So they are an art piece in themselves. And then how about like the cover image? You guys also help with that? We do everything. So we okay. do everything from A to Z except write the book yeah, yeah. for someone. Um, but we do do lots of editorial support and So you have like an in-house artist as well who takes care of the we cover? We have design, yeah. And okay. if there's something outside of like our in-house team, then we work with a range of different freelancers. Okay, outsource, um, okay. Yeah, we try to work with people who would, you know, outsource, say, specific illustrations and stuff like that. Mm. We try to work with people who are locally based as much as possible, but yeah. when needed... Um, we will outsource um, to talent that's abroad just because we're more committed to making yeah. sure that our books are of the highest quality possible. Well, it's actually good that you work with local, uh, local. I mean, you're giving back to the local economy, right? So, which is really good. And uh, then, fine, you do all that. And then you guys, would you take a percentage of sales or is it kind of like after, like, is it a front payment? How does it work? Yeah, so usually with us, we have a couple of different options, but mostly there would be a one-off uh, upfront payment, a okay. fee. And then from there, we continue to invest in the book for the rest of its lifetime. Mm. Um, so reprint, distribution, everything like that, we organize that from what, outside. What if, for example, someone comes who doesn't have the upfront payment, but you guys know this book is going to sell? Yeah, so Will you take that chance? <laughs> I'm just out of curiosity. Yes, yes, we would. And we're moving towards that even more. A couple of options that we have right now is we offer grants. So we work with okay, um, some local cool. companies to be able to sponsor projects for people who may not be able to afford awesome. that investment. That's really, yeah. really cool, yeah. Yeah, and we're looking at competitions as well. Um, one thing that's really exciting is a nonfiction um, book competition that we're planning on running in the, the new year uh, because there's a lot of competitions already in the region, but they're more around fiction mm. uh, and not a lot of nonfiction. And having a coaching kind of personal development background, um, personal development books and self-help books are really, really uh, doing well. Um, considerably yes, well in the time for it. Yeah, it's in really the market the right now. So we're really excited to be launching that competition. Uh, That's very in the cool. New year. Yeah, oh, awesome. I'm looking forward to it. And question, because we you said it, what does it take to become a New York bestseller? Mm. Does, is there like is, is there actually like a way to get on there? How does it really work? Yeah. So a lot of people talk about a New York Times bestselling yeah. strategy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you do hear about people who can pay to play, basically. They can pay to get on that list. Um, Is that a real thing? That's a real thing. Oh, well, well. <laughs> I don't know. I might get in trouble with them <laughs> for saying that. Um, 
but uh, there there is that thing I'm where sure, I'm sure you can pay in this world you can pay for almost everything because you know what it is is it's based on sales right so if you know enough people if you're able to do a strong enough campaign if you already have a massive audience and you can pre-sell enough copies of the mm. book that when the book actually launches all those sales get registered then you're going to hit the I mean, list. if you're already an influencer with 10 million yeah. followers, I'm sure you, I guess you, they will have a more inclination to get you on that list than a person who only has a yeah. thousand followers. The biggest challenge with the New York Times bestselling list, um, which is, is, yeah, it's a bit tough to work around, is that they definitely favor New York-based publishing houses. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then they also um, favor more independent bookstores. So if you're mm. selling... 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 copies over Amazon, that's not going to necessarily get you on the New York Times bestseller is there a, list. Is there a minimum requirement of sales that, that kind of you need? It's different for different okay. genres, um, but you're looking you know, for, for very kind of obscure genres. You'd be looking at three to 5,000 copies. For the bigger ones, you're definitely looking 10,000 copies more. Interesting. Interesting. Outside of the genre of like self-motivation, what do you think other genres are? I feel like I don't know if this, if you feel as well. Obviously, as a professional, this do you feel like true crime is now bec- is now growing massively? Yeah, I, f- I don't know. It's just gut feeling as like cause right. you see everywhere on Netflix, uh, true crime is becoming a real genre. Yeah, you, yeah. yeah, we do see that a lot. We also see uh, obviously children's books are, are growing as well, mm. but there's a lot of you know around kind of feminist ideas and things like mm. that um, coming into the children's book sector, and then. We also see uh, a lot of growth in um, comics and comic books and yes. that kind of genre. Yes. I'm a comic culture, <laughs> I know. I those? saw your room. I said. <laughs> those are my, those yeah. are my pride and joys. I have, a, I, have a signed, uh, I have a signed one there and these two are one. Two That's one. amazing. I've been collecting for a while though. But I would say what uh, is really making a, a splash in the industry right now is just diversity. Mm. Like people want to hear from different people and different voices and there is this movement towards not really trusting the traditional media as much and we want to hear stories from the people themselves and not only is that possible through social media that's an amazing way to tell stories but in terms of books people are buying books from people all around the world and from different people that they probably wouldn't have before Because what we're seeing is people are no longer necessarily interested in reading books that they resonate with personally. You know, they see themselves in the character and things like that. They're actually wanting to read books that are very different uh, from them, something that feels a little out of this world or something that they wouldn't know otherwise unless they'd picked up that book. So there's a really uh, great opportunity in this part of the world for particularly women to start sharing their voices and have an opportunity to be heard in a much bigger way. No, for sure. It's really interesting. So uh, I've had a, I think I think it's probably fifty fifty between men and women here. And I want, and you can see that. I think here because we're people all over the world. That I think that there is a much women here. Are, I don't know in general. The women I've talked to are killing it, mm-hmm. and they should definitely <laughs> put more content out there. I tell right. them all I, for both men and women. Everyone's killing, obviously, on the podcast. But I always tell people you have to create like, you ha- create content because some people mm. out there who are just killing the game, but you just don't hear about it. True. And I think people should definitely create content. Um, I would love to see a Dubai-based author write true crime. I love true crime. Really? I think, I think we all love true crime. The fact that yeah. there's a criminal out there that no one's caught yet and we'll talk about it. Something that we find is interesting. I'd love to see a Dubai-based author write yeah, about it. Yeah, that would be amazing. Anything in the works? You got anything? No. Damn. No. <laughs> 
No, we don't. Okay. <laughs> okay. If you're an author in Dubai and you're listening and you and you love true crime, please write one. I'd <laughs> love have to your, have you on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, you have the fir- and the first uh, a customer who will be buying your book yeah, is sitting definitely. right opposite exactly. me. <laughs> exactly. Um, what, uh, there's other, you're also working on other things. Are you still part of the – you're still in five. Is that still your thing? Yeah, so I started with N5 um, okay, when they fine. opened up N5 Media because for the DreamWork Collective, as you were just saying, everybody needs to create content. It's the same with the books. When we have our authors come in, we treat the books like a mini business. Mm-hmm. So the book, the print book takes up like we we say 10%. That's 10% of the whole picture. Yeah. And then we work with our authors on creating content, whether it's podcasts, um, other variations of their books, online courses, uh, events, workshops. Um, now we're having the online coaching and mentoring mm. platform that's launching soon. So uh, N5 has been an amazing hub for us to be able to explore more digital uh, content and digital ways of, of getting the stories across. Is there more than one person who founded it? How's it? How's Because I know, uh, you know, I know the Fun DXB events. They run out of N5, right? right. And I, I connected with I connected recently with the Fariba. Okay. And she's she's awesome. And I think I'm gonna I think she's gonna be hosting a podcast one coming mm. up in November. By the time this comes out, I already would have done it, which I'll be speaking on on podcast. Okay. I think it's gonna be. A, I think she's organizing it in five. So, mm. uh, so is it, is it was it just you on your own? Or was it like a bunch of people? How the whole thing? It was just me on my own. Oh, okay. Um, at that time. Uh, so yeah, it was. I was part of that kind of initial incubator at the N5 Media. Okay. So they already had the N5 Tech, and a lot of startups had come through that. Um, but the media thing was quite new for them. Um, oh, okay. There's so, so there's N5 and then there's different parts of it? There's different parts okay, of so, it. Okay, so it really is um, an incubator. It's 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 a huge support system for startups across multiple Who's the different original industries. founder of the whole N5 thing? I don't know that. So it comes under TCOM. Oh, so okay, fine. It's a governmental thing. Yeah. Okay. So it's under them, um, as far as I'm aware, and um, through Dubai Creative Clusters, um, it's, it's part of their initiative. So... It's been okay. incredible to be part of that and to connect with other people who are, you know, kind of more in that startup phase. Okay. Uh, but the media facilities that they have available there, like the recording studios okay. and everything, has been uh, such a gift. We wouldn't have been able to create what we did, okay. what we have. So you, you basically approached in five. You inv- in, approached Tcom in five and said, "Okay, you guys don't have like a media part of in five. I'd like to start it, kind of thing." Is that how it was? No. So they already had this idea in the works, um, and then. I was approaching them, looking at okay. what options they had, um, and then I had to submit my proposal of what the DreamWork Collective was all about and how that would work with their support for, you know, media um, startups in the region. And uh, from there, I was selected and, and part of that initial uh, okay, awesome company I, that was out there. Okay, so you so within in five, you help media focused startups. Is that is all? Fo- okay, yeah, fine. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. the main thing. So. Uh, a lot of they work very closely with Studio City, so there's mm. a lot of uh, workshops and trainings and events that happen there, and um, mentorship and things like that for anybody who's wanting to create a, a media-related startup. That's very cool. Yeah, that's it's, awesome. It's a really great su- support system. And you're also a member of a bunch of other stuff too, right? Yes. You're quite a busy person. Okay. <laughs> I'm a very busy person. <laughs> <laughs> so you're with the Emirates Publishers Association, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And they've been a great help as well. I think one of the biggest challenges that I found is I was yeah. I was kind of naive and I think that <laughs> helped me had I known what's involved in being a publishing house. I may not have t- took the leap now, but when I'm looking back, um, my naivety was 
a great blessing, but one of the challenges we found really, really fast was that it was fantastic that I was helping people become authors, but they weren't able to get their books on the shelves. Mm. And the reason being is that bookstores don't generally work with authors. If they're dealing with individual authors, they'd be dealing with thousands and thousands of people every day. So they have distributors, they have wholesalers that they buy the books from. And uh, for our authors, they weren't able to get that set up Mm. for themselves. One, they would likely have to register as a company in order just to sell books. Um, And then two, a wholesaler or particularly a distributor would not take you on if you've just got one book. A distributor is looking at you having a whole catalog. Yeah. Yeah, we can pick and choose from all of these and then roll them out to stores. So then that's when uh, I was like, okay, this wasn't part of the plan, but I can't live with myself, you know, (laughs) doing this for authors and then seeing them get stuck Mm. halfway, you know? So we opened up the distribution arm and the Emirates Publishers Association has been super helpful uh, awesome. in helping us get the distribution okay, stuff set up. Do you also work on audiobooks as well? Is that something yes. you guys do? Yeah, so we look at which which of our books would make sense to be converted into mm. either ebooks or audiobooks, um, even podcasts, uh, versions of them. So there's a range of different ways Very to cool. kind of express the same thing. Have you listened? Do you know David Goggins has a book called uh, You Can't Hurt Me? Can't Hurt Me, I think. Where the audiobook is combination the the book and a podcast within the right. audiobook. It's so cool. Like within yeah. every section, you'll have a little mini pod, uh, podcast right. with the with the guys reading the book. It's very cool. It's really I interesting. I like that combo. And I I like podcasts as an audio format, um, particularly for a lot of our kind of mm. more personal development books because you can go to any chapter at any time. You're not having to scroll through the whole thing and figure out where you left off and stuff like that. The podcast. It's a nice way to keep people engaged in the story instead of them, you know, trying to sit down and, and binge listen to something yeah. <laughs> or remember what they were listening to a week ago. You can break it up into nice bite-sized pieces and pick a little bit that way. Oh, very cool. And how are you going about like advertising the DreamWorks Collective and yourself as, mm-hmm. a, as, a, as a personal brand? How are you going about it? So the interesting thing is so far... All of our authors have come to us through word of mouth. Okay. Uh, we have not done any formal advertising or PR or anything like that. We have for our books when they launch, mm-hmm. uh, but specifically for the DreamWorks Collective, we've not done anything. And one of the big reasons is is that we really um, tapped into um, a need in the market and we became very busy very fast. And there was one no no need to advertise in the sense that we were already so overrun with um, authors that we were struggling to keep up on on top of things. And uh, we really had to kind of not only scale the company fast and bring on more people, but be mindful about the way that we were, you know, working with people and uh, bringing people in. So word of mouth has worked so well for us because the Dreamwork Collective is not just a publishing house, as you've probably gathered. No, it's yeah. really about people coming together to, to celebrate dreams and to support mm. each other in achieving them. So we're also looking for the right kind of people. We're not That's just going to publish, uh, even if it's the most amazing book there, it's, you know, if the author is not nice <laughs> yeah, of course. and just in it for the money or something, it's not really going to work with our overall mission yeah. and vision. So we're also looking at how how can we bring in the right people. And so far, word of mouth and, and people finding us maybe just through Fair social enough. media or launch has worked really Fair well. Enough. You know who's doing a great job at content creation is Rachel. Yeah, Rachel's amazing. It. Like I, we, we and her have even met, but we've been talking on Instagram a right. lot because she's making great content. 
She's amazing. She's doing great content. She's I think so that's good. definitely going to help her the second she releases that book. Right. So yeah. Well, it already has. So for the first time, um, we thought there was a glitch in the Amazon orders because they tried to order everything. Um, and we've never had that happen before with any of our books. You mean? Yeah. Oh, wow. So basically what happens with Amazon pre-orders is based on how much they think they can sell, they order mm. the, that amount of stock for their warehouses all across the, the country. Um, so they, they ran out already? basically yeah awesome. i mean we we, good, print, good for yeah, good we, for you, we printed what we had you know we'd analyzed it and thought this is the right amount yeah. as a first print run and then amazon tried to order all of it <laughs> that's awesome so it's amazing and yeah as you say she's so good um in her content and it's no, really sure. paying off it's great. uh i've already we've already been in touch she's definitely gonna come on the podcast i'm gonna amazing. grab a copy off of her i'm gonna read it and have her on the podcast we'll talk about it really excited for it yeah it's an and amazing awesome. book yeah? Really, really, okay. really, really good. Yeah, it looks awesome. So I'm really excited about it. And like I told her, like we talk, we talk a lot on Instagram, and uh, mm. her content's killing it. Yeah. I really like her content. She's amazing. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Uh, we'll wrap this up. Uh, how can people reach out to you? Uh, so the dreamworkcollective.com awesome. is our main website. Okay. There you'll find uh, a lot of, we have a lot of content and blog posts <clears> and uh, videos there to help you kind of get started. If awesome. that's where you're at, you can also learn about our coaching and, and things like that, our events. We run publishing workshops Very cool. here a lot. And then obviously you can meet our authors and cool. learn about and if people want to reach out to you straight, they can hit you up on what, Instagram, LinkedIn? Yeah, Instagram, LinkedIn, all right, cool. uh, I'll, I'll Facebook, all, I'll we're all the everywhere. Links. I'll put all the links, guys. <laughs> you can reach out. Uh, very interesting. It's always nice to see uh, uh, you know, people here working on, on helping others and, and helping them grow in their passion. And definitely, it, look, one lesson I think we all take is if you love to write and, and you have things you want to talk about, don't don't keep it in, right? You have to definitely exactly. write. Let that create content then. Exactly. And reach out to Kira and, and what she's doing is super awesome. And hopefully one day I can come yes. to you guys with my book. Please. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, guys, please do reach out. Um, for me, uh, Digital Hoos on Instagram, Twitter, um, on YouTube as well. By the time you guys see us, we'll start having that YouTube contest. So hit me up there. On LinkedIn, Sassam al Uh The podcast is everywhere. Make sure to uh, rate, subscribe, and drop me some feedback. It's super important. And that's basically it. Amazing. Right, this is Let's Take This Online, and we're out. Yeah, yeah I go home for the Second nature, tell me what you know. What you know? I know they're praying that I fly.